It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as Peter Jackson's Ring films, Spider Man, and the Kubrick retrospective. A week or so ago, I had got um, both box sets of the 4K, like the Hobbit trilogy and the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I watched all um, all the Hobbit movies, the extended versions. I had not ever watched the extended versions in their entirety until last weekend, and I watched them all back to back, the three, um, and my short take is... I did not dislike the experience, not nearly as as, as I as much as I did from my memories of seeing those movies at the theater. Um, it was a very different type of situation. I had like a different reaction, a different reflection on hmm. seeing it now, all these years later. Um, and then I, I at first I wasn't, but then I was like, screw it, I'm gonna go ahead and jump into Lord of the Rings as well. So, and of course I've seen those before, the extended versions, and I'm more familiar with those movies. Um, and I, but I watched Fellowship of the Ring all the way through, and uh, I guess I'm about to do Two Towers, even though me and Sean already did that um, some months ago oh, yeah. for the best <laughs> picture. So I'm think, I guess I'm thinking about doing it again, I don't know. And Return of the King, that one I actually watched the least individually out of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So... I've probably only watched that extended version one time all the way through, and that would have been years ago, like maybe 15 years ago. Um, oh, wow. So, so I guess I'll get to it eventually, and then I'll see if, if I have different feelings about it or something. Um, but the more I've been reading some articles and reflecting on Lord of the Rings again, uh, I kind of, I, I, other people say the same thing, and I kind of agree with it. I kind of wish The Lord of the Rings was six individual movies. The way it's divided in the disc sets, um, like the extended versions divide into six parts. Just like, I don't know if you've read the book, but the book is like six smaller books mashed mashed together. And I think it would have been a lot cooler if if it was just that way. And like each part was approximately 90 minutes to two hours long. And it was six parts individually. I think that would have been super cool in retrospect. But because I, I think yeah. they do have a good flow if you just watch um, a half at a time. But whatever. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that's going to make the uh, the new Netflix version a little more interesting. 
Because I feel like that maybe would have always been better as a series, but they could have never gotten the budget, so they would have needed to really... Which one? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's going to be on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Maybe maybe that'll actually be good for that series. Because, yeah, as much as I enjoy the extended cuts, it is like a big slog that you got to kind of prepare yourself for to sit through them. Or not a slog, but... Oh, it's a, it's a lot. It's a big, big-ass meal. Commitment. Yes. And when I was watching The Hobbit all the way through the extendants, I had the same thought, which is, if this was broken down into episodes, and there's plenty enough there to make it episodic mm. because of all the subplots, it's it, it comes across as a really well-done miniseries, like the kinds that they do now on Netflix and Hulu. Um, like a Witcher series or even Game of Thrones. Like, it comes across as a really sharp, well-done series. Because, oh my god, it's, it's it's so crazy. Like, I don't know how familiar you are with the Hobbit movies, but, like, for them to finally get, let's say, to the lake and, and the town or on the lake, you know, mm-hmm. before they get to the mountain. And so they get to the lake and you're like, all right, they're finally close. And then they have to deal with the whole subplot of the the town leader and this mm-hmm. whole like hiding and like it's crazy that there's this whole humongous side quest and then Philly being ill and like there's this whole side quest when you're just like dude I just want to get to the mountain if you're watching the movie like, it's unbelievable that it takes this turn but if it was like a series it would be more like oh yeah okay you know whatever it's 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 wild because you said you watched them all extended maybe that helped them because when watching the theatrical cuts there's so many moments when you're like this this should be in the extended cut why is this here in the movie it completely slows down the pace but if you're kind of expecting that to be honest with the hobbit movies and again it's been ages since i saw them originally theatrically i couldn't hardly tell what was added like i i just couldn't tell I couldn't tell, like, was this in the original or not? Whereas when I watched Lord of the Rings, there's certain parts oh, I go, yeah. oh, I know that wasn't in the theatrical cut. Like, there's no way. But with The Hobbit, it just sort of all blended together that it was it was very hard for me to pick out what is possibly extended and what isn't. I'm really not clear. Well, but I think it would, it would help the movie if you're just expecting to go in having that kind of extraneous stuff. Yeah, yeah. Rather yeah. than sitting in the theater and being like, why is this here? Like King Kong <laughs> had that same problem. Oh, okay. Well, obviously we saw King Kong not too long ago, Peter Jackson's. And it's funny because I could see little moments, like the way it was constructed, the way it was crafted, the way some of the editing is done in The Hobbit and in The Lord of the Rings. I could see stuff that was very signature Peter Jackson and stuff that you would notice like some weird cuts and like remember we commented on like when, like the slow motion was used <laughs> yeah <laughs> Do you remember because like, like things would be in regular speed and then there'd be a jump cut and maybe a zoom and then it'd be like in slow motion and then it would like jump mm-hmm. cut back to regular i noticed moments like that in both trilogies it's just it's just it's 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 more restrained and held back in the Middle Earth stuff, um, mm-hmm. whereas in King Kong, it's 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 it overstays its welcome every time it happens. Um, so it distracts you and it pulls you out in King Kong. Whereas 
when it happens in the, the Middle Earth stuff. Like, it happens, but just before it irks you, it goes away. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't, so it doesn't, it's not so obtrusive. Um, but you can definitely tell it's made by the same guy. And as bloated as the, as the Lord of uh, the Middle Earth stuff is, narratively, and with especially with all the additions, the stuff that he sort of padded it with, um, well, especially The Hobbit, it, huh. it feels more welcome to me to have more with the Middle Earth stuff where it was less welcome with King Kong. And where, I, where I'm saying, like, um, I, it would be cool to have, an, uh, like, a series. King Kong, I would have rather just been one contained movie. I mean, because mm. it... Ugh, if it was, like, divided into two movies, you'd be like, oh, my God, really? Do we have to? Um, <laughs> and, and yes, you, I, I could see how you could do it where... You just did the island stuff, and then maybe you did the Manhattan stuff, but still, it's like it's still too much. Like, like no, I don't know. It should just been that one should just been trimmed and had a tight theatrical cut. Um, I also noticed you well, you just you just noticed the weird Peter Jackson humor that happens occasionally in in like um, action scenes and things, um, mm-hmm. but it. Again, it's more subdued and it fits better and it works better, I think, in the Middle Earth stuff. Um, a lot of people don't like the changes to The Hobbit or the additions to the story. They didn't bother me so much. It doesn't bother. It makes sense and it doesn't bother me that Legolas is there. It doesn't bother me that there's all this stuff with Radagast the Brown. It doesn't bother me that there's more fan service where they add in Galadriel and Saruman just so they can have these conversations that were never written anywhere but again makes sense that they happened they fill out he fills out a lot of stuff that was never fully explained about what gandalf was doing whenever he was missing in the hobbit but again i think it makes sense um evangeline lily her whole character and everything is all made up and but maybe it's because i like her um i like all the stuff with her and i like her being added in and i like the whole made-up plot with her and philly and their weird um uh, unrequited love or whatever it is i like it for some reason i don't know um so i don't know i just ended up enjoying it and and they all all the movies look great in 4k the hobbit ones and they all look better the Hobbit ones and the Lord of the Rings ones. They all look so fresh, so brand new. and So I don't know, it was fun. No, that's cool. It was really fun. I'm really glad those movies exist. Um, so I watched all that stuff. Um, I watched the next one in my little Woody Allen box set, which was Mighty Aphrodite, which I'd never seen before. Uh, I really liked that one. Um, I liked it. Uh, because it was more like you heard me complain about the previous one I saw Bullets Over Broadway with Sean but Mighty Aphrodite at least the setup it's more like a typical Woody Allen movie if you've seen a bunch of them Uh, more similar to his typical stuff um, where characters have similar type of conversations about politics and stuff like that Um, and Woody Allen himself stars in it and so it's more similar to his other ones that star him um and I guess Mira Sorvino, she's like, she's the main, she got nominated for 
best supporting actress, but she's the lead actress in the movie, to be honest. But anyway, um, I never really knew her. I never really saw her in anything. This was like her big breakout role in her career. She was amazing. She was absolutely yeah. stunning. She's doing this weird voice thing, which is a little bit off-putting. But just her physical presence, she was just a, a stunning specimen of an actress. And she did end up winning Best Supporting Actress for that role. Which still seems weird, because she's, she's doing a weird voice thing um, for that role, which is like it's off-putting and doesn't fully match. So it's kind of weird that she still won the, the award despite that. But anyway, just her physical presence is, is just something else. And that was a fun movie. And then, uh, um, and I've been watching the, the Hawkeye Disney Plus series, and the fifth episode just came out oh. yesterday. And Hawkeye the series is by far and away my personal favorite of the Disney series, Marvel series. Um, but I have, there's biases I have to make it my favorite. Um, I've said before, it's based upon a comic book run that I actually bought when it came out back in 2013 or so. And it was like a really cool, funny, edgy, um, comic book run, um, by Matt Fraction. So that, that's, that already had me in, in the first place. Um, but I, I'm a massive fan of Haley Steinfeld and have been since True Grit many years ago. And I've just been a fan of hers ever since. And then there's some other stuff that's spoilers for anyone. I mean, I know no one will even... First of all, I don't even know anyone will ever hear this. But even if they do, it'll be far removed from now. But if you if this was live... And I still haven't seen that. <laughs> if this was live, there's been some big spoilers in the last couple episodes of this series that have to do with the MCU at large. And that stuff has just been super fun. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got to catch up on that show. It looks just looks great. It's fantastic. I just uh I still haven't finished What If. I have two episodes left in What If and I'm like, ah, like fuck that show. I don't want to catch up. But. I've only <laughs> seen two episodes of What If. Um but uh I've enjoyed all of the Disney series except for not so much with the Winter Soldier one, or or Falcon, or whatever. Not not so hot on that one, but I've really enjoyed all the others. But Hawkeye is just—if I could only have one—and it. Well, it seems like the more they come out with these things, like Loki seemed to be t be tying in somehow to the MCU at large. We don't get to know the full extent of that, but Hawkeye is very much like that too. It's it's really. Um, connecting MCU tissue between different MCU properties. So it's filling in like a really nice gap. Um, and it's just fun. It's just fun. Yeah, I guess that Spider-Man movie's coming out pretty soon. I guess I gotta catch up. Uh, uh, sir, uh, I have my, you know, tickets bought. I'm gonna see it on Saturday. I mean, I'd be seeing it tomorrow if it wasn't for... Or it probably came out at midnight tonight. Um, oh yeah, but, but because I'm going with someone, I have to wait till Saturday. But I got my tickets for IMAX and everything, and it's pretty sold out in these parts. It's pretty hard to get good tickets right now uh, around here. Yeah, I'm seeing it Sunday. I'm pumped. Oh, there you go. Hopefully it'll be good. Um, yeah, it looks good. I mean, there's been, you know, yeah, there's um, 
like if you see the i'm sure you can find it somewhere but you know watch the after credit scene of venom 2 and there's probably some tie over from the loki series a little bit i bet there's probably a little bit of stuff from the hawkeye series i bet that'll that'll tie into the spider-man movie i'm sure hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do do you think I need to catch up with Hawkeye before I go see it, or no, no, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, no, I don't. Th- I think the tie-ins are not necessarily not not necessary to enjoy the movie or the full thing. And I'm just assuming, by the way. Um, sure. It's it's just oh, there's things there's things that are curious, um, and. Uh, there's not much from Eternals or, or those other ones that I think really connects. And I don't know if I've said it before too, but um, since 2012-ish or 2013, Spider-Man has been my favorite comic book character. If I could just choose only one, he was he was never my favorite when I was younger. But but post Avengers MCU uh, time frame, he, he's he's just became my favorite superhero. Um, so. I'm always extra pumped when any Spider-Man movie comes out. Even the damn uh, Andrew Garfield ones. And I'm glad that I see more and more videos on YouTube every now and then trying to make the argument that not only are the amazing Spider-Man movies not bad, but they, framed correctly, they could be the best um, Spider-Man movies up to date. Uh I don't know about that, but I mean, but I, there, there's an argument to be made, um, and I know they're not the most true to the original Spider-Man in the comic books. I know that, but I don't mm-hmm. understand why that has to be a bar of entry. Um, yeah, that's fair. Like why it has to be, you know? They're like, oh, you know, Andrew Garfield, he plays like this emo, whatever, and you know, Peter Parker was never like that in the originals. And I'm like, who cares? I don't want Peter Parker to be exactly like he was in the 1960 comics when he was still in high school. Like, I don't want that, like, necessarily. Um, so I never understand that argument. Like, I don't ever hear anyone say, Captain America's not exactly like he was in his original comics, or Thor, or whoever. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's an, ar- an odd argument. I mean, I, it's not my favorite Peter Parker, but it's more the, the side like villains and things in those movies that kind of piss me off. That's why I don't enjoy them a ton. But you know, he's great, and uh, Emma Stone's great. So I, I can get into that dynamic. It's just the plots are just like, oh, man. Yeah, and unfortunately there was some difficulty there with Mark Webb, who was the director, and and him having like a big old idea like of... Uh, he had a grand idea of like a trilogy and story arcs, but certain things he had to compromise so it makes it it makes some of the the final edits a little bit weird on his, on his movies because like he planted mm-hmm. seeds in the first one that that he wasn't able to address in the second one and then of course there was supposed to be a third one done by him so mm-hmm. it's sort of like this unfinished thing you know so you know it's unfortunate but you know whatever it is what it is yeah, we see a lot of those these days, just these unfinished threads. Like, uh, mm-hmm. what was that? Green Lantern had a lot of that going in it. Oh, jeez. Those stupid res- or, uh, <laughs> Alien vs. Predator movies. 
I was I, I considered um, Green Lantern like just about one of the worst mainstream superhero movies that I'd ever seen, uh, <laughs> and so I saw Catwoman. But I don't know if that counts as mainstream. Um, uh, I think it does, sadly. It, well, the only reason I think it doesn't is because it's weirdly such a European production. Like it's mm-hmm. so not American, even though even though the actors and are largely American. It's it's almost like a spaghetti. I mean, I forget what country produced it. It's not Italy, probably, but it's still like a spaghetti westernist to westerns. It's like a, it's a something else. It's like a I don't know, a Belgians. I don't know what it is. It's it's weirdly European though, <laughs> in production and everything. Yeah, but wasn't that wasn't that kind of like a Alien Resurrection thing where the studio was like, oh, we just can't get this work. Let's bring in some with a completely different flavor. So I get some weird European person to come in, but it was still a studio studio project, and and it's still in. Uh... I'm not really sure, but the whole thing has this feeling of like, where are we? And it's not Canada this time, or somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> but you're not, you're just not really sure, like where this exists. Yeah, and the weirdest thing is, I was originally going to star uh, Michelle Pfeiffer for years, and they didn't change that much to it. They they changed the characters. But, like, the kernel of it was still that original story, and it still has some connection to Batman Returns with the whole cat resurrection thing. Yeah, which is super weird. Super weird that it has any connections to that, even if remotely. Uh, you know what it's like? A little bit. I haven't seen it recently. But, like, the Supergirl movie. Oh. From 84 or whatever it is. No, because because it is also made to be connected to the Christopher Reeve universe. But the production mm-hmm. is so weird, again, because it's like produced in another country or something. And and so there's just something off and you don't really know what it is. Um, but the Catwoman movie, that's a really great movie. Like if you ever want to do like a like a um, like a joke commentary or something or like it's one of those type of movies. It would be perfect for MS T three K or whatever it's called. Or riff tracks or something. The most shocking thing about Catwoman is if you, if you were watching them in sequence, all these superhero movies coming out, which I was, it goes uh, Batman Begins, then Catwoman. Catwoman feels like it should have been made in like 2003 or something. It's it's so shocking that it came out the next year. That was one of those ones where I it was just like a, like a skip in a record. Like whoa, what what's happening to superhero movies? It's really weird. And then we got Ghost Rider, and it just oh. Then X-Men started to fall apart, and I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I had to give up after around that time. <laughs> it's weird. I did really enjoy those first two Spider-Man movies by Sam Raimi when they came out. Like, you know, they seem like, you know, this is the best of what the superhero movies are offering at the time. It was it was those Spider-Mans and like the first two um, X-Men movies were considered like the best at the time. And it's weird how in retrospect like the Spider-Man ones annoy me. Mm. I can still watch the X-Men ones perfectly fine, but it's weird this how, how the Spider-Man one, Spider-Man ones didn't bother me when they were when they were like new newish, but it's, it's kind of a little bit difficult for me to go back. Yeah, me too, and it's the humor. But not as bad as it is for other things. So many things humor just massively gets in the way. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> it is and, and then of course the third one is like the epitome of all that's wrong um, <laughs> with that but um i don't know 
Are you ready to get into the uh, meat and potatoes of this? Yes, I just have to grab my inhaler. I'm having kind of a random asthma attack, so I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Whew. All right. <clears throat> now those damn cigarettes. <laughs> I always forget you smoke real cigarettes. I do, yeah, sadly. That's crazy. Now, are you like a in a niche of people in up in, in Vancouver or whatever who smoke real cigarettes? Or is it a little bit more common there than it is like in cities I'm used to these days in a, in Texas? Um yeah, I think I think smoking's still pretty pervasive. Yeah, here. But yeah, I started when I was 14 it's weird. and all the people all the teenagers that I knew all smoked. So it just, you fall in so and then weird. Yeah, I've just never been able to quit. Really. <laughs> See, now I'm old enough, of course, that I remember when all the American adults, it seemed like everyone smoked cigarettes. I'm old enough to remember that. I'm old enough to remember when smoking was pervasive, like anywhere you went, like in public, including malls and stuff like that. I remember it in restaurants. I just remember it being everywhere all the time. Um... I remember when most adults smoked versus those who didn't. I also remember when I was in England, like it seemed like all the teenagers were smoking uh, over there. Um, but then by the time I got to middle school in, in the United States and then of course high school, I felt like the number of people I knew who smoked, young people, I could count on one hand. Um, and I could also say, from then till now, I know far more people um, who, let's say, smoke marijuana than ever messed around with tobacco cigarettes. Like, the ratio yeah. is not even close. Well, it's good to hear. It's nice to, that it's finally falling away for so many people, but... <laughs> well, however, in more rural areas, dip is, is strong, and... and and chewing tobacco and stuff like that. Oof. Yeah, I remember uh, a teenager, or when I was a teenager, a lot of the hockey players around my area would all chew, and it was just so gross. Like, I didn't want to hang around with them, with them just spitting everywhere constantly. Their mouths just looked nasty all the time. It's like, oh, God, like, why would you do this? <laughs> Especially when you're a teenager and you want to, like, pick up chicks. Like, it's not a good look. <laughs> I, I could understand the appeal of doing it and getting addicted to it, I can totally see. I mean, not the appeal of getting addicted, but I can see how there's the initial appeal, and then I can see how you could then get addicted after that. It's just for some reason, the little scare documentaries that I was shown that had to do with mouth cancer from dip, those documentaries mm. just seem so much scarier than the ones that were on drugs or on cigarettes. Um, so I was always extra afraid of like dip and chew. That's fair. Hey, propaganda works. <laughs> but I, I'm sure it is actually that bad. I mean, I I don't know. The oh, it, oh, a lot of it worked on me when I was young. A lot of it really worked on me, uh, but it didn't work. I worked on a lot of other people my age, but not all of us. Yeah, I guess you said you didn't really do any drugs or anything either, so the Reagan era. Oh, no, no. I had, I had a super clean uh, childhood as it pertains to those types of things. Um, but no, yeah, I was about to say I am literally – a product of the Nancy Reagan um, Just Say No <laughs> campaign. I'm literally, like, I was exposed to those commercials and I had the right frame of mind and I was, like, the right age where they, 
I was the intended audience. Mm. And they worked on me at the time, for sure. And I know it happened to a lot of other people who are my age group. But again, not all of us, though. Um, didn't work on all of us. Yeah, I lived in a an area with lots of just shitty teenagers. And yeah, we fucked around with all that stuff very young. So <laughs> I did, too. I did, too. It's just I, I could still hang out with them without... I, 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 mm. I could easily not participate while still hanging out with them at the same time. I've just always been kind of like that. That's fair. Oh, but I was going to say, uh, and, and this is kind of removed from this podcast, but you're talking about doing a like career retrospective. I would love to just go through all the Kubrick films in order. I think that'd be fascinating to do. I haven't done any of them yet, so I think we could pull that off. If you're interested. But. <laughs> of course I'm fucking interested. They're about to release... So I have... Of course I have every Kubrick movie on disc that you can get. I mean, not every disc, but I mean every movie. Um, I don't mean every iteration of each one. Um, but <laughs> they're almost all on 4K now, or Criterion, like everything he's done. Uh, and the Warner Brothers movies are almost all released now on 4K. I think Eyes Wide Shut's like the only one. Um, well, Barry Lyndon, I guess, has not been released on 4K. Even Fear and Desire? Uh, That's been on 4K? Hold on. Is that the first one? Yeah, I can't imagine that made it to 4K. <laughs> no, it's not. No, no. I said the Warner Brothers stuff, not Fear and Desire. That's three Warner Brothers. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, but another one's about to be released by... A third-party distributor. Um, what's it called? <sighs> He's the other war movie. Um, oh, uh, not Paths of Glory. Uh, Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory. What, that one. That one oh. is about to get a 4K release from a a, a studio I'm not familiar with. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to that. I was gonna say Spartacus. I don't know why I thought that was a war movie for a second. <laughs> I guess there's some battle sequences. But... It is a war movie, but not that kind of war movie. Um, yeah, <laughs> and of course that is on 4K. And I do have that on 4K. Uh, oh, cool. But yeah, like I, I really, I have a, a definite love for Lolita. I would love that to be in 4K. I have a very definite love of Eyes Wide oh. Shut, and it's always been the worst looking Kubrick movie. I mean, like fidelity wise, it's yeah. always been the worst. And I would just love like a cleaned up version of that movie. God, I just think it would just knock my socks off to see that movie like redone, remastered. Oh shit, it would just be amazing. Um, hey, maybe maybe we should jump onto Fear and Desire next. I would love to go through all the Kubrick films. That'd be fucking awesome. I would love to. I would love to. I of course I would. I but before you made this proposition, I thought you were gonna say maybe we should do that concept of two minutes at a time. I, I'm, I'm curious to be what it, oh, no, no, no. it would be like. I mean, obviously you can't do it for any movie. You got to pick the right subject. But I think it would be interesting. Uh, I also think. I think I would get bored. I don't think I would get bored, <laughs> but I, but I do see like, if I tried to, to do that by myself or with you or with anybody. I don't think it, I don't think we'd ever finish. Like, I mean, like you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, get like thirty minutes into the movie, and then, and then it would probably end like the series would end or something. 
because I was just reading uh, a little bit on Rotten Tomatoes, it reminded me of something else that I thought was interesting that I read uh, before we had this discussion about this movie and Bergman, which was uh, this writer was saying that, um, like, you have to understand what it was like at the time, uh, like when this movie came out. Um, meaning that this writer said, so like this movie came out, Persona, and the critics, the like the Swedish film critics, or not just Swedish, but just the film critics, the notable ones of the day, um, that it was very normal and common for for Bergman to get like mixed reviews. Like he would simultaneously have reviews that said, oh my God, another masterpiece by Bergman. You know, oh, he's done it. He's topped everything, you know. He would have he would have those types of reviews, and then he would have these other types of reviews mm. at the same time that were like, "Oh, great, another pretentious offering!" Like, wow, like <laughs> there's nothing in this movie. There's no the movie lacks substance. There's no driving arc or, you know, like oh wow. And so apparently this was normal for um, Bergman to get very divisive type of reviews. And as I was reading about it, all of course, all I could think about was Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan, it's a baseball player from 25 years ago. Um, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Wow, I guess I'm getting sleepy. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Nolan, and and how you'll get a movie like um, Dunkirk or Interstellar or Tenet that people will simultaneously write, oh, yeah, another masterwork by Nolan, and he does it again, and other people go. Yeah, no one's over his skis. He's gone too far with the detachable, not detachable, but um, detached protagonist who we can't connect with. And it's just crazy. Um, Wes Anderson gets the same kind of shit too. <laughs> like the crazy praise and then simultaneous like, oh, ho-hum, another hipster production or, you know, whatever. Well, that's that's the thing about having a, a genuine artist rather than a focus group. The genuine artist will appeal to people who enjoy that particular type of art, whereas a focus group is just like, what can we do to appeal to everyone? So, so that makes sense. And and maybe Nolan, maybe it'll be good for Nolan that Tenant was kind of a failure, because maybe he'll more focus on just telling his stories rather than try to appeal to everyone, which I feel like he was. Tr- somewhat trying to do for quite a period of time until maybe tenant well when he kind of broke off and was like okay i'm gonna do my own thing and really focus on doing what i want to do oh, it's god it's a whole nother interesting conversation i have uh not just about not, not <laughs> just about christopher nolan but just filmmakers in general with that concept because part of me because when you set it up and said perhaps because tenant didn't you know hit the way he wanted it to hit I thought I, was, I thought you were about to say, like, now he's going to try to like outdo himself, or because it, it's like it's it's interesting how people talk about. I talked about this before about Villeneuve, how he put all his passion and everything into Blade Runner, but it didn't deliver the way he wanted it to. But then, but mm-hmm. then so, by just making some alterations uh, to his delivery and approach. Dune just fucking works apparently and it's just cause it, there's like minor tweaks um, compared to what he did with Blade Runner 
to what he did with Dune, and, and those minor tweaks like make all the difference for whatever reason. Like, for reasons I don't understand. <laughs> for for broader audience appeal, I don't get how that movie appeals to a broad audience, but apparently it does. So good, good. That's great to hear. Well, but... More than Blade Runner. Uh, one video I saw about that subject was in Blade Runner. So you know you're this. You're you're fifty minutes into the movie. You know what's driving the story. What's our protagonist trying to do? This and that, and it's like yes, he's trying to solve a mystery. So it's it's more like, but there's no real action pieces. There's no real. All the excitement is just from him uncovering a clue, and that's just not enough for people. And then like, do we even care? If he even solves this mystery, like, what do we care if he solves it or not? Like, is it going to change anything for anyone? Not necessarily. They talk about this revolution of of androids, but we never really see it. And and when we do see like the revolution, we don't know who these people are. We have no connection to them. They they don't. They're not a heavy part of the story. So it's just like it's. This person was saying it's it's just too ambiguous for people who are not into that. But in Dune, it's like, no, we get it. There's these families, they don't like each other, they're trying to run the planet, and then mm-hmm. these ones like you know, um they sabotage them, they take over it's and it's like, okay, I get it. And then there's like these cool visuals every now and then and cool interesting set pieces. Uh, and so it's just it's just easier to digest than something like Blade Runner twenty four. And yeah. so I almost thought you were implying that maybe yeah. Nolan might do the same thing. Oh, fine, you didn't really go for my tenant. Well, fuck you. I'm gonna fucking top that shit and and really blow you out of the water. But I don't know. I, I forget what what his next movie is about. I know I had read about it, but I, right now I can't remember what he, what he's working on now. Part of me is a Nolan cynic that thinks that Nolan is really the the Hugh Jackman character in The Prestige where he wants to please an audience no matter what. But his reaction to Tenant, he seems so genuinely pissed off that I think just in protest he might go in the complete auteur direction and be like, I'm going to complete my vision, fuck the audience. But I, I feel like that uh, Hugh Jackman side of him is might be too much for him to to really fall into that side but we'll see he's, he's in a very fascinating part of his career i'm i'm super interested to see what he does next and you just remind me of some random post i saw on one of these movie groups on facebook the other day which god if I, I could if you ever want to trigger me um so somebody posted some image some meme that showed like interstellar on one side and 2001 on the other side and the person just posted it and said, mm-hmm. like, you know, which one do you choose? And every motherfucking comment was like, 2001, 2001, 2001 all day. But then there was the other ones which were like, get the fuck out of here. You shouldn't even be comparing these two. Um, you know, Interstellar's a pile of yeah. shit. 2001's like a masterwork. And like, oh. just over and over, everyone was exactly saying the same basic opinion. Like, like this is an insult to 2001 to even compare it um you know 
one's just a two-dimensional whatever the other one is you know you know it's everyone all the commenters were all on the same page and i was infuriated like like, get the fuck out of here god damn it i think i so think interstellar does not get the credit it deserves i fuck god noise the shit out of me i mean i think i think 2001's the obvious answer but but i would not at all say that anyone who likes interstellar more is wrong or that it's a piece of or a pile of shit or anything there like are so many good things going on like my list is so long oh yeah and i love 2001 i'm not gonna lie though i i watch interstellar 15 to 1 like how many times i rewatch interstellar versus 2001 and i'm not saying interstellar is better but i'm just saying i watch it rewatch it 15 to 1 versus 2001 it's it's much more consumable than 2001. 2001 I would consider almost a religious spirit experience put into oh, film. That's how I experience I, it. I agree with that, but I remember seeing it in the theater and feeling like I was like crushed by the weight of the film by the end of it. It really was like just absolutely mesmerizing. I haven't had, haven't had the exact experience, but I I can totally see that. I completely agree with it even though I haven't had the experience myself firsthand. But I fucking another one that triggers me on Interstellar is when people say, "Oh, so what was the fucking point of the movie? That fucking love conquers all, or the science of love?" <laughs> God damn it! That shit fucking pisses me off when people write that shit about that movie. God, it makes me so <laughs> mad. Um, like what the fuck? I feel like you didn't watch the fucking movie. Um, um, oh God, I think. It, <laughs> What I loved about when I saw Interstellar the first time in the theater, and same thing with Tenant and probably Inception the first time, um, I just remember thinking, like, this is exactly... And the same thing happens in a different way when I watch Tarantino movies at the movies for the first time. But as I'm watching those Nolan movies for the first time in the theater... I'm thinking this is exactly how I want the movie experience to be for me, which is I just got into this movie that I had no idea what it was going to be about or where it was going. Um, I've been completely sucked in when there's the major set piece parts of any of those three movies. When I saw them the first time, I was having like an auto body experience in the theater, meaning I was completely taken away. You know what I mean? The movie had suspended all reality. The world outside the theater did not exist to me in any way in my thoughts. Like I was a wholly 100% in the movie and just like like when they oh, that part in Inception where like the 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 van is flipping and it takes forever in in, in the van time but then there's like in the multi-levels of the dreams and then at the last second leo has to he has to or he either him or someone else has to get pulled out at the last second and you remember and he's like falling through the different levels of the, of the dream and all this shit's happening simultaneously do you remember that part i do remember that scene yeah okay so you remember that scene and then uh one of the scenes i fuck oh there's multiple but one in interstellar is when they're trying to when fucking Matt Damon fucking steals the shuttle 
and he's trying to connect and he has the bad connection for the shuttle onto the mm. and they're like no don't do it no, you know, don't open the door don't do not open the door and, and all the music and then boom he blows it and then they're trying to land remember and they're trying to line up oh my fucking god I was just dude I was uh, what do you call it god damn it it's like a fucking coital movie experience for me like being in that moment <laughs> like I'm just like fuck yes fuck and and again, same same feeling for me during most of the action pieces in uh, Tenet. I was just like, God, this is, I don't know what the fuck's happening with the backwards cars, but this is fucking crazy. Like, I'm just like, ugh. Ugh. And it's, again, that's exactly what Nolan wanted to do. He was, I was the perfect um, target for him to manipulate. I was in 100%. Like, that's why I go to the movies, is for like, for that out-of-body experience. Yeah, you know, I guess since you mentioned Nolan, I guess we're due for another Nolan review. We've already done uh, Insomnia and the Prestige. What's next? Um, we can do whatever, but I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go back to the Nolan well yet. Uh, oh, sure. Uh, I'm more intrigued by this idea of... Um, well, I'm always down for another Bergman, but also the other thing you mentioned about the Kubrick thing. Yeah, Kubrick. Like... Oh hell yeah! Well, the problem is, well, no, I'm I'm down with it, but every time me and Sean came up with a Kubrick film for one of the other podcasts, it's kind of daunting. Like, what the fuck are you gonna say about 2001? Like, I mean, for a podcast or a review, I have no idea. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny you say that because I was more thinking, I can't wait to get to something like Killer's Kiss or uh, Fear and Desire. I haven't heard anyone say a fucking thing about fear and desire. I don't know what the general consensus is with that. I've read a little bit. I, I but I've got things to say. <laughs> no, no, I, I, those are easier or seem easier. But two thousand one, what the fuck are you gonna say? Mm -hmm. And then when we did Clockwork Orange, same thing. I was like, fucking, everyone's seen this movie. Like, like, what the fuck can you say about it? Like, I feel like you're just gonna sound dumb. Like, no matter what you say. Um. One of the things that'd be fun with 2001 is we could do that and 2010. Just like do a little, uh, like a side quote to it outside of the, the Kubrick retrospective. So look at it outside of Kubrick just as like a science fiction if film. If you put it that way, then you're implying then, then you'd also do Dr. Sleep, who also has Ferguson in the movie. Oh, oh, Rebecca Ferguson's in that? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, it's interesting. I've only watched half the movie. I know. I don't know what my problem is. Because, again, I enjoyed the half of the movie I watched. So don't ask me why I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> I don't know why. And hey, like, like you said, you've, you've discovered new things about 2001. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it'd be a fun conversation. It happens every time with a Nolan, uh, Kubrick, a Tarantino movie. Like, any one of them. You, in any film of theirs, I'll, if I watch it right now, I, I haven't seen Pulp Fiction since, I don't know, a year and a half or two years ago was the last time I, I went, watched some of it. And I don't remember what it was. I just know I fucking saw something that I'd never noticed before. And that's just, that's just, just mm. out of control. Um, the same thing with these stupid... 
I don't know how much of it is me being polluted by the, the recentness of the Bo Berman stuff, but it, to me it felt like it, it made so much sense to what we were talking about with Bergman. Um, but, so, you know, I, I told you I've been obsessed with these Bo Berman uh, reaction videos and stuff like that. So some of his songs, I've literally watched like, you know, 12 different reaction videos to the same song like over and over and over. And I'll be listening to his early stuff was like satirical rap. And I will hear shit on my 25th listen of that song. And I go, oh shit, I, I didn't, re- oh, I didn't get that layer of the joke. And that, <laughs> that is crazy to me to listen to a song and then hear, notice something for the first time on like your 25th listen. That's insane. I just think that's so crazy. Yeah, that's always great. It's always great. And I'm sure that's what Persona's Persona's going to be over the years, going back to And it. I told you, I didn't realize he had done 8th grade, even though I watched it. And I thought 8th grade was just like, yeah, it was pretty good. It wasn't... I have a thing for coming-of-age movies, for, like, kids in school and stuff. And 8th grade, oh, it was good. I'm blown away. But now that I know it's Bo Berman... I'm going to totally have to rewatch that because Bo Berman's he, he's he's known for his subtext and his unobvious, you know, whatever notions and I'm, I anticipate going back to 8th grade and watching it and going holy shit, I missed so much. I had no idea cuz I thought it was just a regular movie. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, uh this is probably the last thing I say and then I got to probably head out. Got to go too, but yeah, I've had this Elaine Robie Grelais set sitting next to me this whole time we've been talking, since we kind of brought him up a little bit. And I just remembered that when I bought this same set, it was in the same giant sale where I bought the uh, the changes. And I also bought the original Battlestar Galactic at the same time. So, that's kind of funny. We were talking about the changes earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, just like the other day, I, I had these two discs in front of me where I sit... Uh, primarily like at the computer and I just looked down and I saw like oh there's Dune and I was like oh there's Mulholland Drive right next to it and I get it they were both released recently but it's still it seems weird like that I just have these two David Lynch films mm. sitting right in front of me and they're both 4k releases and I don't know why that's weird but that's weird um yeah that's fair <laughs> and I'm just like looking at him yeah where's Blue Velvet I need to see Blue Velvet. Oh, you never seen Blue Velvet? Wow. <sighs> Have you seen uh, Wild at Heart? No. Oh, I tell you, that movie, that's like the peak of erotica for me. Nick Cage and Laura Dern in that, their sexual chemistry just gets me so fired up. <laughs> I can't even... Oh, wait, what was it called again? Uh, Wild at Heart. And that that's actually kind of similar to uh, like Natural Born Killers or uh, uh, Badlands, the uh, Terrence Malick film. Where it's kind of like a like uh, these this couple goes on a run, although they're, they're not criminals in the same way. But I didn't know that, I didn't know that's what Badlands is about, but I've been wanting to see it. Um, hmm. Um, I mean Laura Dern also in Blue Velvet. She was fucking just sex on a stick back in the day. She was just fire, so incredibly hot. <laughs> but I have, go, I have to go back and see because. Because I have not seen any of her works from that period or the, those early days for her. I just thought 
Dang, she's so cute in Jurassic Park. And then she's fucking... Oh, those... That older stuff. Oh, man, it's... Yep, incredible sex appeal. But then... Ugh, it's all ruined by... Her horrible character in the Jedi. Um, uh, Last yeah. Jedi. And then in my oh, the other movie I want to do at some point on some podcast, um, Downsize. <laughs> um, Laura Dern has a a very quick, tiny cameo type role in, in that movie. Oh, weird! I don't even remember her in that. Hmm. You know? Oh, so you've seen the movie? Yeah, downsizing. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you remember the part where um, what the hell's his name? Matt Damon or Doogie Howser or um, oh, uh, uh, oh, fuck! What's his? Yeah, from uh, from How I Met Your Mom. Let me grab my Harold and Kumar DVDs. <laughs> uh, Neil Patrick Harris. That's there we go. Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> um. Uh. If you remember when he's in the movie downsizing, you know Patrick Harris. I, I remember he's that. doing like the sales yep. pitch, and then he opens the house up, and he's like, "Hey, honey, how's it going?" And she's like, "Oh, I just got back from shopping." <sighs> you know, like, what'd you get? And and it's Laura Dern who's like in the bathtub, and she's the one like she's pretending to play like this fake wife oh, wow. during that sequence. Wow, that's... Huh, I don't remember that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But yeah, Blue Velvet and, and Wild at Heart. Yeah, she is in, incredible. And Kyle, Kyle MacLachlan, too, in Blue Velvet. Super-duper sexy. I mean, goddamn. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, I should I should probably uh, sign off. I'm pretty wasted, so... Me, too. I'm, I'm, like, I'm getting, like... Or I can't think straight because I'm sleepy and I'm, like, I'm like drifting <laughs> in and out of my thoughts. Fair enough. Well, hopefully uh, talk to you next week with some Dawn of the Dead. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a pleasure as always. It's so fun. It's like the highlight of my weekends or whatever. Yeah, super fun. Absolutely. Peace. Peace.